Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Songs of Christmas. For a few short weeks, the Songs of Christmas seem to unify the world. Whether they are pop songs, traditional carols, or sacred hymns, ultimately, the inspiration for Christmas songs is tied to the celebration of the birth of Christ. Join us as we look at some of the most loved, theologically rich, and sacred songs of Christmas as a starting point for seeing what God wants to teach us through Scripture this Christmas season. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody as we are in our second week in this series called The Sounds of the Songs of Christmas. It's great to have a little intro from Nat King Cole. Uh, listen, uh, today we're going to be focusing on joy. And to really look at that, I, I want to take us to the Gospel of Luke. And I'm, I'm going to focus just on one verse at the end of it. But I just want you to listen to the story of how Mary was told she was going to be pregnant with Jesus and then how she went to her cousin Elizabeth to share the news. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The baby in her womb, who happened to be the one who would be John the Baptist, leaped in the presence of his Savior Jesus and his mother. This morning, we're going to focus on joy, and and we're going to turn to a a traditional Christmas hymn that is all about joy to to illustrate the scriptures that we're looking at. And, And the song is Joy to the World that we just heard Nat King Cole sing. Now, according to those 
who track publishing of hymns, Joy to the World is far and away the most popular Christmas hymn being published more than 400 times than the hymn in second place. Uh, it, it was written by Isaac Watts. And uh, besides Joy to the World, you may recognize some of the other hymns that he wrote, like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross or Our Go Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. Now, just a little bit about Isaac Watts. L like most young people, uh, Watts found church music of the period to be uninspired and monotonous. He saw no joy or emotion in the standards sung by the choirs and the congregations. And yet, while most of the new generation kept quiet, Isaac complained bitterly to his father about the archaic language of the psalms sung in church. His father, never one to stand on tradition, challenged his son to come up with something better. And that challenge initiated a creative burst that would not end until Isaac Watts had composed more than 600 hymns and hundreds of other poems. Now, by adjusting the, New, the Old Testament scriptures, in effect, well, that's what Watts would do when he would write his hymns. And in effect, he was paraphrasing the scriptures to write these hymns, which honestly at that time was very controversial. Uh, in fact, it was possibly so controversial that some people can, can considered him a heretic at greatest. Some of them made just a malcontent, uh, but they were disturbed because he was rocking the boat. He was... Uh, rocking the status quo of the era with regards to church hymnody. Now, we should be thankful for that challenge from his father because it set Isaac Watts on a lifelong pursuit to write lyrics that exalted Christ and reminded Christians of their hope in the saving work of the cross in words and lyrics that spoke to them. It's interesting to think through. This was maybe, uh, you know, this is the 1700s. This might have been the beginning of, uh, of the worship music wars, so to speak. In 1719, Watts published a book called The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament. Interesting title, The Songs of David, the, the Psalms imitated in the language of the New Testament. Rather than just translate the original Old Testament text, which he could do, he adjusted them more explicitly through the eyes of the lens of Jesus Christ revealed in the New Testament. And we see in his translation of Psalm 98, the very words, the literal words, word for word, the hymn of joy to the world. And it's interesting, he titled that poem, The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. So in his own words, as he looked and read Psalm 98, it was not about Jesus' birth. It was about the second coming of Christ. And, and just a little bit more history about the hymn. Uh, that tune that we sing, this favorite Christmas hymn, was uh, the music for it was written more than 100 years after Isaac wrote that hymn. And it was written, uh, the music was written by Lowell Mason, uh, who uh, was inspired by some of the songs from Handel's Messiah. Now, as 
I may have implied, and I'll say it now, Joy to the World was never meant to be a Christmas song. Uh, it, one writer says it's an accidental Christmas song. Um, and uh, it, it, uh, it really, as you sing it, you'll, we'll do that at the end of this message, you'll notice that it doesn't talk about the birth of Christ, but it looks forward to Jesus' return. And it, it seems to have gained its popularity a little over 100 years ago, in 1911, uh, when a popular recording artist, Elise Stevenson, joined with the Trinity Choir for a Christmas album release. And Joy to the World was the, the featured single that climbed to number five in the secular pop charts. I didn't even know they had pop charts in 1911, but apparently they did. Um, but uh, even before, though, think this through, okay? Even before it was popularized as a, as a Christmas hymn, remember... It couldn't have been a hymn about Jesus if he didn't come at first, right? Because there wouldn't be a second coming if there wasn't a first coming. So we're going to look at the scriptures that inspired this hymn and I, because I believe it's going to inspire us uh, because the reality is this. Uh, it's about joy, and joy is what fills our hearts that makes us want to praise God. So I'm going to talk about uh, that we should praise God for a couple of reasons. The first reason we should praise God is because, as you're going to see, as the psalm says, God has done marvelous things. So let's look at those things. The first thing is this. God saved us. So Psalm 98 is uh, the inspiration for the hymn, and the psalm briefly tells the great and marvelous things that God has done. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So the psalmist says, the Lord has done marvelous things, and he gets specific. He uses some metaphors that, that may not resonate with our ears. He talks about the right hand of God. He talks about the holy arm, that they've worked salvation for him. And so in biblical terms, we need to see and understand that phrase, the, the right hand of God. It always speaks to God's all-powerful nature, that he's omnipotent. But it also is a prophetic messianic term that, that reminds us that the Messiah will be given power and authority to subdue his enemies. And that's what we recognize in Jesus. But there's another metaphor in there. It's the arm of God. And, and that's a phrase that's always used about God's power specifically to save his people. So, these verses are all about God's ability to save, which is what the psalmist says. In verse 2, he says, The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. And that scripture uh, must uh, inspire the very last verse of Joy to the World, which I'm just going to remind you, we're going to put it on the screen here. The fourth verse of Joy to the World says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Now, going back to Psalm 98, we see his righteousness in verse 2 and his faithful love to Israel in verse 3. And, and these things demonstrate God's salvation to all the nations of the earth, both then 
and every successive generation to today and it will continue until he comes again. But the way Watts interpreted Psalm 98 was right because today biblical scholars agree that, that Psalm 98 is a prophetic psalm about the Messiah who would come in power to save his people. Now, it, it's also clear that Watts was inspired by this psalm because he could see how, we can see how he interprets it through the lens of the New Testament because he pulls a very descriptive phrase and inserts it into this song. You may have caught the reference and maybe not know exactly where it was from, but in, but in verse 4, he talks about that Jesus comes with truth and grace. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, says this, We have seen his glory, talking about Jesus, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth, so that's how he rules. That's how he rules the world, with, with grace and truth. Now, it is interesting to note that Watts also wrote another hymn that specifically reflects the verses of Psalm 98, but to my knowledge, it never became a popular hymn at all. So think this through. The vision for the Messiah in Psalm 98 that the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to write centuries before Jesus came more than likely, the psalmist saw this as a vision of the Messiah coming, wielding very powerful political and military might to save his people. But we, today, as followers of Jesus, we have 20-20 hindsight. We know he didn't come to be a political leader. He didn't come to be a military general. He came to save us from our spiritual depravity and our sin and, and because of that, we understand this, that through Jesus, God reversed the curse. Now, you Red Sox fans, we're not talking about that, okay? Uh, we're, we're talking about the, the curse that came because of human sinfulness. Now, Watts clearly understood this, and so he wrote a verse about the curse that God reversed through the Messiah. And it's interesting, I, I've discovered just through some casual conversations this week that if, if you're uh, from uh, the baby boom generation or older, you probably remember singing this verse. We'll sing it at the end of this message. But a lot of you have never heard, if you're younger, have never heard the verse that's in Joy to the World, that's inspired directly from God's Word. So, so let me remind you about this. Uh, let me remind everyone that the promise of Christmas is that God sent Jesus to be Emmanuel which means God with us. It's a messianic promise that will not be completely fulfilled until everyone on the earth receives their king and Jesus comes again to reign over and rule the earth. And the curse that all humanity was given was given at creation. And it will be removed when Jesus the Messiah comes again and completes the work of human atonement. So, for those of you who've never heard verse three in Joy to the World, this is what it says. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as 
the curse is found. That's good news. That, that's hope. Now, as the hymn declares, the good news is that Jesus Christ is victorious over sin as far as the curse is found. But knowing that he gives us the victory over our sin doesn't absolve us from dealing with the curse. So let's deal with it. The curse shows up early in Scripture. In fact, it shows up in the third chapter of Genesis after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God and his instructions and they've sinned because they've eaten from the tree that God expressly told them not to eat from. In response, there were consequences. Aren't there consequences for all of our sin? Yeah, there were consequences. So God handed out curses. Let me read you the first one. It's to the serpent. So the Lord said, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now we're going to pause just for a second. That last verse, verse 15. Scholars will point out, this is called the Proto-Evangelion. Basically what it is, it's the first evidence of the foreshadowing of the gospel because the enmity between the offspring of the woman and the serpent is Jesus. All right, so I'll go back. That's the curse for the serpent. Then God gave Eve a curse. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And then finally, God cursed Adam. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the fields of the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you are taken from it. For dust you are and to dust you will return. All right, look, I know this is all sounding gloomy, but there's hope, okay? So let me share it with you. Now, big picture, this scripture tells us that through Adam, all humanity receives the curse. All of us, every single one of us. Uh, as the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, he says, when Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. And by the way, everyone includes all of us. We have all sinned, so we've all received the curse. Interesting, too, that not only did humanity receive the curse, but also, did you notice, the earth does, too. It will grow thorns that will infest the ground. All because of humanity's first sin. But there's hope. There's so much hope, and that's what Watts was writing about. So we turn to the book of Galatians and listen to this. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, this is from Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who does not observe the, and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. That verse is from Deuteronomy. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. 
For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. So Paul is telling us that the bad news about the curse is no matter how hard we try to follow the law, we can't be good enough. Uh, We are unable to keep every law and command of God perfectly. And one breaking of one command labels us as sinners. So we fail and thus we sin. And because we sin, we are cursed. Again, that's the bad news. But let's talk about the good news. The good news is that our salvation comes through faith in Jesus, not based on what we do, but based on what he has done for us. And Paul tells us that Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus saved us from the curse of sin. He became the curse so we could be set free. He is the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. And if we believe in him, we are saved from sin and death, the curse of the law. And that's the blessing. That's the blessing that flows from Jesus to all of humanity. If we would just receive it. So God has done great things These scripture tell us that that he's done great and marvelous things to save us from sin and to save us from the curse of death. He did that because he loves us and he wants us to know him and spend time in this life and spend eternity with him forever. And knowing all this, it should elicit a response from us. God deserves a response. And I want to talk about Two types of responses. The first would be sounds of worship. Now, going back to the hymn, Joy to the World, it takes all of its inspiration for its focus on worshiping God from Psalm 98. And the psalm begins telling humanity to worship the Lord. Verse 1 says, sing to the Lord, a new song. Further on in the psalm, it tells all of creation, not just humanity, to worship God. Now, humans are told to worship God with musical instruments like harps and trumpets and horns and, of course, with their voices. But then the psalm tells nature, the the creation, to worship God. Uh, Let me me read Psalm 98, a couple of verses. I'm going to turn to the King James Version because this would have been the exact translation that Isaac Watts was looking at when he wrote his hymn. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm. With trumpets and the sound of cornet, making a joyful noise before the Lord the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and that they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the, Lord, for the, before the Lord. For he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness. Shall he judge the world and the people with equity? 
Now look at how Watts reflected that in the hymn. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. The response to everything God has done should elicit praise. Uh, Praise and worship from humanity and, and from heaven and from nature, from fields, from floods and rocks and hills and plains. And as the hymn says, we should all repeat the sounds of joy, employing our voices and those of us who are gifted with musical instruments to worship God. God deserves our sounds of praise. So thinking about all that God has done should make us praise him. But that also means that God should receive our acts of praise. Now, following Jesus is an act of obedient worship. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Mark. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, more than 2,000 years ago, Jesus said these words, and they're still relevant today. God wants us all to repent of our sins, to believe the good news of Jesus, and follow him as his disciples. Now, let let me remind you, this isn't a once-and-done thing. It's not once-and-done because... Unfortunately, our sins aren't once and done. Uh, And so uh, repentance and confession needs to be part of the life of a follower of Jesus. And it's not just a discipline. It's not just a a, um, a spiritual uh, act of uh, following Jesus. It's also an act of worship. Whenever we choose to do anything out of faith, In Jesus, it's an act of worship. So repenting and believing and following is an act of worship. As people became disciples and the gospel of Jesus spread throughout the known world, the disciples began to go out and share the good news of Jesus beyond Jerusalem, beyond Israel, to to the known world at that time. And, And the apostle Peter wrote his letters to the churches that were scattered throughout the known world at that time. And this is what he said. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have in him. So I want you to know that telling someone about the hope that you have in Jesus, it's an act of worship. Following Jesus is an act of worship. I want to remind you that in this season that we're in right now, this is the time when you can tell people about what Jesus means to you more easily than ever before because it's relevant to the season of Christmas, as we all know. So I want to encourage you to do that. Isaac Watts knew this. And he, he knew these scriptures that I just read from the Gospel of Mark and from 1 Peter. And, and when he reflected on those scriptures in his hymn, the first verse of Joy to the World shows that they were part of his thoughts. Remember what it says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart 
prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. You know, it is a blessing to see how God's word is reflected in these joyful words that we sing. But if we want to be a blessing to God, we need to let him see how his word is reflected in our lives. So as we close our service today, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to sing that classic hymn. But but I want you to think about how your words and your actions each and every day can be worship to him, that can sing joy to the world, that the Savior came as baby Jesus, but he grew up and he became the Savior of the world to die for our sins so that if we believe in him and accept what he's done, we can receive eternal life. And he's promised he's coming again to return, to restore all things and to bring salvation to all who believe in him and to finally complete atonement and reverse the curse forever and ever. So we have reason to sing with joy. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we stand and sing joy to the world? Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.